What up, son? It's the tale of the tapes. The fuck life. Saying. Alright, we're here. Episode 23. Today is the last day of season one. And this is the close to the 1980s decade. So today we have Willie D of the Ghetto Boys and Vanilla Ice. Both from 1989 as we close out the 1980s and the end of season one here today. It's a big day. I don't want to waste too much time because quite honestly, this is probably going to be a relatively long episode. You kind of have, you know, it's not the outro to the podcast the same way that there was an intro to the podcast, but this is the end of season one today. This is the end of the 1980s. So we're going to cover a little bit more today, do things a little bit different. I do want to try to give a proper close to the 80s and, you know, make sure the decade and the artists go out the right way. We'll take a little break. We'll pick back up off in January of next year with the 90s. We'll still be smack in the middle of the golden era of hip hop. So I don't want to waste too much time. I'll get right into it, man. We're going to start off with Willie D here, who had his debut solo album in 1989. I do want to just touch on the fact that the Ghetto Boys were not included in this for a couple of different reasons. Now, I understand that the Ghetto Boys were a relatively big group and an influential group and it sounds ridiculous to leave the Ghetto Boys out of this study, but I want to talk about just briefly and quickly why that went down like that. So everybody knows, well, you know, not everybody, but real hip hop heads obviously know who the Ghetto Boys are and that they were comprised of Willie D, Scarface, and Bushwick Bill. Two of those three artists did make the cut in Willie D and Scarface. So we will be covering Willie D. We will be covering Scarface. Bushwick Bill did not make the cut. Now, normally, that would mean that 66% of your MCs from the group made the cut, and that would mean that the Ghetto Boys did make the cut. However, when I looked deeper into the Ghetto Boys, I started seeing a lot of other names of people that were involved in the Ghetto Boys. Now, these are not associated acts these are actual members of the group and i do know that some were dancers and some were you know a dj or or multiple djs and things like that but the problem here is that i can't really seem to find any definitive answer on how many mcs were actually included in the group the ghetto boys now for the mcs that i do know that are in the ghetto boys 66% of them did make the cut. So I'm a little torn by saying the Ghetto Boys didn't make the cut because from the immediate people that I know, they did make the cut because it would have been two out of three. But the lack of info on the other five or ten members of the group makes it impossible for me to really narrow down without sitting down and listening to all of the Ghetto Boys albums. Really makes it impossible for me to narrow down who was an MC in that group and things like that. Now, I stated in my intro that if there was ever any artist or person left out that my general audience deemed absolutely ridiculous or absurd that they weren't included in this study. I've had people complain about a couple of people, you know, um I can't remember some of the names. I, I remember Dre and Easy, but 
you know, Dre and Easy didn't really write their lyrics. It's how can I give somebody a lyrical score when they didn't write their lyrics? And there were other people that I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But like I said, man, there has to be lines drawn. I cannot listen to every single song by every single person. Nor do I really deem it necessary or can I say that I want to. Now, the thing here is if somebody isn't included in this study, I feel like I have a fair reasoning as to why. But again, in my intro, I did state that if there was anyone or any group that my audience deemed ridiculous that they didn't make it, I would be open to listening to that. Now, I'm probably going to get some of that when people hear this, that the Ghetto Boys were not included. Like I said, Willie D and Scarface were, but only their solo material. So, if anybody can provide me evidence or proof or facts or whatever of who the MCs in the Ghetto Boys were, all of them, and I can find some information on these people and things like that, I will reconsider. What I won't do is I won't go listen to every Ghetto Boys album and read all the lyrics to every Ghetto Boys album to see which MC is on which song and all things like that, if at the end of the day I come to the conclusion that they're not being included anyway. So... Like I said, if anybody can step up and provide any more information than what I was able to find on the internet, then I would reconsider including the Ghetto Boys in this. And if that does happen, then I will obviously go back and rescore Willie D. I will obviously go back and rescore Scarface as I've done him already. And I will recover where these artists wound up finishing and stuff like that. With all that being said, let's get into Willie D. Birth name, William James Dennis, also known as Willie D. Born November 1st, 1966 in Fifth Ward, Houston, Texas, United States. Genres are listed as hip-hop and southern hip-hop. Again, I don't remember every single detail of everything off the top of my head. All of this stuff is documented. If anyone wants to test what I'm saying right now, feel free to go back and listen to the prior 21 or 22 episodes of Artists Covered. In this podcast, I'm not going to do all that. I believe that Willie D is probably the first person that we've covered here on this podcast to have Southern Hip Hop listed as one of their genres. Now, I'm not saying that Willie D is the pioneer of Southern hip-hop or that he's solely responsible for Southern hip-hop, but I do know that Willie D and the Ghetto Boys were certainly instrumental in the rise of Southern hip-hop. I know a lot of people attribute that to Outkast and things like that too, and I'm not trying to take anything away from any of these guys. I'm just trying to point out that on this podcast of people that we have covered, I believe that Willie D is the first person listed as a Southern hip-hop artist, so... I pointed out, you know, certain things about this guy being the first person from here, this guy being the first person from Jersey, this guy's the first person from Philly, this guy's the first person from the West Coast, things like that. So here we got a guy from Houston, and I believe the first person to be listed as Southern Hip Hop. His years active are listed as 1988 to present. I don't think he's had an album out in a fair number of years, but he did have albums out like after the turn of the millennium and stuff like that, so... He did come out in the 80s, but he was a little bit more present than some of these other people. Uh, I don't really know his level of involvement in hip-hop outside of things like that, so I don't know if Willie D ever plans on dropping another album or anything, but let's get into a little bit of a background on Willie D. 
William James Dennis, born November 1st, 1966, is an American rapper, songwriter, entrepreneur, investor, and columnist. He is best known as a member of the Houston rap group, The Ghetto Boys, alongside Bushwick Bill and Scarface. Not too much there on Willie D, as I would kind of expect. Like I said, The Ghetto Boys you know, is probably bigger as a group than any one of its members by itself. I would say Scarface probably challenges that as probably being the, the maybe the top guy, the most popular guy or most well-known or most prominent MC in the group or whatever way you want to word it. But I don't really expect for any of those three guys to have a giant bio just by themselves. I'm sure that the Ghetto Boys would probably have a little bit more to say. I don't know that for a fact, but... With that being said, let's go to Willie D's list. Let's hit random. And this is Willie D, Cleanup Man. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Well, he doesn't spend time with me. He doesn't respect me. It seems like I'm just there for his convenience. Baby, don't cry. Pull yourself together. Let Willie D take you to that other level. Rub you the right way, miss. Compared to me, Johnny don't know. I'm in a class all by myself. Get some of this, and you don't want nobody else. So if you plan on staying with your groom, don't come around my bedroom. Okay, so I didn't remember this song off the top of my head, and it's called Clean Up Man, and I didn't really remember exactly what it was about and didn't know what he meant by Clean Up Man, but halfway through the first verse, pretty sure I can tell what he's getting at. We got a girl talking in the beginning, you know, complaining about, I guess, her boyfriend or whatever to Willie D. And then he comes in rapping, you know, to the girl and says, baby, don't cry. Pull yourself together. Let Willie D take you to that other level. Now, together and level is a reach for a rhyme there. It is two syllables, but, you know, like I said, it's a reach, so... They lead into each other well. They make sense. I think a little bit more bad than good just because, you know, together and level, it really doesn't rhyme. But not going to lose points right off the bat. It's only the first two bars. Then he says, and love you the right way, miss. Compared to me, Johnny don't know shit. I'm in a class all by myself. Get some of this and you don't want nobody else. So most of this is just one syllable per rhyme, one rhyme per bar. Basic, simple, you know, straightforward type of bars here. All sticking on the topic, all leading to each other well, all make sense. So if you plan on staying with your groom, don't come around my bedroom. You know, basically just saying, I, I don't give a fuck if you have a man. I don't give a fuck if you're taken or whatever the case is. If you plan on staying with him, don't come around me. Because as he said earlier in the other couple of bars... Get some of this, and you don't want nobody else. So now back to the title of the song, Clean Up Man. Again, I can see what he's getting at here. You know, you're fed up with your man, you're sick and tired of the bullshit. I'm the clean up man. Come over here. I'll fuck you the right way. I'll make you stop thinking of that dude. I'll make you care less about that dude. I'll make you not even want that dude anymore. The clean up man. So again, most of that, you know, first half of that, of that first verse right there was just average, very simple one syllable per rhyme on most of the things, one rhyme per bar, stuff like that. But again, all those bars made sense. They led into each other well. They were all on point with the topic. So we'll see if he can keep the topic throughout the rest of the song and what else he's able to do. 
Get your hands off the bedpost. Married women, they need it the most. See, after a few times in the sack, homeboy tends to get a little relaxed. He starts hanging out late with his friends. Yeah, that's when I come in. But not to his house, cause that ain't nothing but a slaughter. We go to my place to get a room of third mile. Now once I get your woman alone, it's on like a pot of neck bones. And when I call, she'll pretend that I'm her girlfriend. She might call me Santa friend, but I'm the cleanup man. Okay, so he says, get your hands off the bed poles. Married wit, they need it the most. See, after a few times in the sack, homeboy tends to get a little relaxed. Which again, it's it's a very simple two bars there. Just one rhyme per bar, one syllable on the rhymes. But they lead into each other while they make sense. You understand what he's saying, what he's getting at. He's just saying that after a few times of, of him fucking with you, he wanted the pussy, he wanted to get it, he got it now. Now he, you know, he gets a little relaxed. He stops trying so hard. He stops going the extra mile to last as long or to care what you want. And he's just trying to get a nut now. You're nothing new to him. He's already got you. You know, you're married to him, yada, yada, that whole nine. So trying to make a point there of how, you know, the significant other in this scenario gets a little lackadaisical and in comes Willie D to clean up, man. He starts hanging out late with his friends. Yeah, that's when I come in. But not into his house, because that ain't nothing but a slaughter. We go to my place, get a room at the Ramada. Now, once you get your woman alone, it's on like a pot of neck bones. Now, while the line makes perfect sense, once you get your woman alone, it's on like a pot of neck bones. I get it. It makes sense. You know, if think about what you would say, oh, put a, put a pot of neck bones on. So I get it. It's on like a pot of neck bones. I understand what he's saying. But again... That's just not really a great line. Somebody else had a line, and I forget what it was that we covered on here, but it was something very similar to this. I believe it was Tretch with him saying, I believe it was Tretch with him saying something about like his songs or his lines or something being funky like Raw Chitlins or something. It's a very similar line where you could have said it's on like a pot of anything. So... It's just not really a great line. Again, I'm not trying to shit on it. It's not a bad line. It makes sense. It's better than just kind of saying nothing. But it's another one of those scenarios where I don't want people to get caught up and and confused and misled by the by the fact that somebody's saying this is like this. Just because you're saying something's like something and you're making a comparison doesn't really make it this amazing dope comparison or metaphor or punchline or whatever the case is. So I just want to point that out. Then he says, and when I call, she pretends that I'm her girlfriend. She might call me San or Fran, but I'm the cleanup man. Now, girlfriend and man, again, is a little bit of a reach for a rhyme, but he is from the South. He does have a bit of an accent. I I think he pulls it off okay. I'm not going to ream him about it, but it is the second time that he's done it in the first verse here. So I do just want to point out that he is reaching sometimes a little bit for rhymes. Now, he does have San and Fran also in that last bar to rhyme with man. So, nonetheless, there's definitely at minimum three or four rhymes in those two bars. But they all are one syllable. 
And the sand and the fran, again, is exactly the same thing of saying it's on like a pot of neck bones. Where you're just saying it because it rhymes with man. There's really no other reason for him to be saying she might call me San or Fran in that line, honestly. So, a little bit of give and take there from Willie D in the first verse. We had, you know, the two scenarios where he reached for the rhyme a little bit and the word didn't really like technically rhyme. Slaughter and Ramada was kind of close as well. So, you really could say there was almost, you know, three to six bars in there where he kind of reached for a rhyme. No real bad lines or anything like that. Nothing that didn't make sense. Everything led into each other well. And he did keep that topic the whole first verse. So if he's able to remain keeping that topic for the whole rest of the song, he will get some points for being able to hold the topic. This is certainly an original topic. You know, not only with what he's calling himself and the metaphor that he's making of I'm the cleanup man, you know, I'm there, I'll be there when, when the husband or the boyfriend ain't acting right, you know, to clean up the garbage and give her what she's looking for and shit like that. So it's a cool little play on words, calling the song The Cleanup Man. I don't really remember anybody prior or, you know, maybe even since making a song that's really the exact same thing of kind of being the guy that's going to be there to dick her down when the significant other ain't, ain't doing the right thing or is slacking or whatever the case is. So if he can keep this topic the whole song, this song will probably be one and a half just on principle of what it's about and the fact that he was able to talk about that the whole song. So let's see what he gets into with the second verse. The reason I know so much about him is because he's too dumb and no girl of mine. Swept her right off her feet and into the jack. Cause you was using her face as a punching bag. I'm no boy next door myself neither But if you got a beater, you don't need her It ain't no thing for me to be lovable Cause after being treated like that, she's so gullible Like a masseur, I rub her thighs, neck and back And give her some of this aphrodisiac So he says, swept her right up off her feet and entered the jag Cause you was using her face as a punching bag So, again, just bag and jag Two one-syllable rhymes on the two bars. Very simple, very basic stuff. But now he's getting into a different scenario or a different explanation here of, you know, earlier it was he starts hanging out late with the friends and she gets tired of that shit so she comes to me for attention or whatever the case is. Now in verse 2, he's saying that I swept her right off her feet because this guy's beating her. This guy's hitting her, whatever the case is. I'm not going next door myself neither, but if you gotta beat her, you don't need her. Basically just saying, I mean, what what the fuck are you married to this girl for? What are you with this girl for? You're beating this girl? I mean, if she's somebody that gets you that mad and drives you that crazy or threatens your life or whatever the case is, that you have to beat this woman, you don't need to be with that person. Why would you be with someone and beat them? So I get what he's saying there. Now, that time he has neither beater and neater which is three two-syllable rhymes on the two bars there. So a little bit different than the majority of what he's done before this, which was mostly one rhyme per bar and one syllable on the rhymes. Then he says, It ain't no thing for me to be lovable, because after being treated like that, she's so gullible. So now we have two three-syllable rhymes on the two bars there, and that's a pretty dope line. Because he's basically saying, This ain't even me. I don't even want to take credit for this. Ain't no thing for me to be lovable. This is, you know, this wasn't my game that picked her up. After you hitting her, I seem amazing no matter what. I'm not treating her the right way either, but I'm not fucking hitting her. 
So after you fucking hitting her and then she comes to me, this shit is easy work for me. Then he says, like a masseur, I rub her thighs, neck, and back and give her some of this aphrodisiac. That follows most of the trends of the earlier stuff, the one rhyme per bar, the one syllable on the rhyme. But again, they make sense. They lead into each other well. Again, he's still on point with the topic here. He stayed with that. So let's get into the second half of the second verse here. Now what you know about that, boy? You just start. You're still in kindergarten. Talking about you got that whip appeal and all that stuff. She told me you couldn't even fill it up. Yo, don't call me a snail. Because if the shoe was on the other foot, you take my girl. Willie D is for real. If you don't take care of your business, then somebody else will. I'm going to give your girl what she really want in the midnight hour. I'll be her confidant. And when you hit her and make her cry, I'll be there to drop her eye. I'm the cleanup man. Okay, so some more give and take here in this second half where he says, Now what you know about that, boy? You just starting. You're still in kindergarten. Now that's one of those scenarios where bar two doesn't rhyme with bar one. He just says two things in bar two that rhyme with each other. Now it is two syllables with starting and garden. So uh, again, I'm not going to ream him too hard, but a little bit of a cop out there. Talking about you got that whip appeal and all that stuff. She told me you couldn't even fill it up. Now, he could mean more than one thing here. And to be quite honest with you, I'm not really sure it matters what he means. He could be talking about, you know, not being able to afford the gas or, you know, fill your car up. He could be talking about not being able to fill the pussy up. So, I mean, obviously... It's a direct diss to the other person and, you know, take it whatever way you want it, but it is what it is and I'm sure we can all come up with our own version of what he's getting at. That aside, again, it's just stuffing up, which is two one-syllable rhymes. They make sense. They lead into each other well, still on topic here. Yo, don't call me a snail because if the shoe was on the other foot, you'll take my girl. This is a pretty weak line here. This is probably the weakest line that Willie D's had for a number of reasons. I mean, saying, yo, don't call me a snail. Again, unless I'm missing something, I, I just don't get that. I don't really know why somebody would call him a snail. I'm inclined to believe that he was looking for something, you know, a way to say if the shoe was on the other foot, you'd take my girl. But again, snail and girl don't even really rhyme with each other. So it's another reach for a rhyme. That's pretty much like the fourth time that he's done that in less than two verses now. So that's a bit of a pattern that's definitely more negative than positive. Again, I don't really know what he's saying by don't call me a snail. So that's another negative in this particular two bars right here. And then he says, Willie D is for real. If you don't take care of your business, then somebody else will. That's a pretty good line. Still only the two one-syllable rhymes on the two bars. I'm going to give you a girl what she really want. In the midnight hour, I'll be her confidant. And when you hit her and make her cry, I'll be there to dry her eye. I'm the cleanup man. Again, close it out with a couple of really simple one-syllable rhymes, one rhyme per bar, stuff like that. Now, there was more negative in the second half of the second verse than there probably was in any other portion of the song for Willie D. 
Again, I don't quite think it was enough to take points away from him at this point, but he's leaning a little bit along the downside. He has had some decent lines, but he has had, you know, four separate occasions where he's really reached and the words really didn't even rhyme. He has had a couple of run-on bars. He has had at least one weak line, so a little bit more negative than positive, I think, here in this particular song. So we'll see what he gets into in verse three. The reason I know so much about him is because he's too young and old girl of mine. You know, that's all you do is complain. I work, I keep the lights on, I put food on the table, I buy you clothes. I mean, I don't understand it. What else do you want me to do? Just bring the romance back. Baby. Use the big time money, mate. Yeah, work hard. Or whatever the hell you want to call it. But when you leave, your girl don't miss you. Because the cleanup man is in the picture. You're clocking them big bills. But money can't buy you love, just a cheap thrill. And that gets soul and abandoned. Now you're looking for love and understanding. Okay, so he says, You was a big time money maker, yeah, workaholic. Or whatever the hell you want to call it. Again, nothing mind blowing, but the lines lead into each other well. They make sense. He's addressing. Again, the same person or the same people. He's still on point with the topic here. Does have two syllables on the rhymes there. But when you leave, your girl don't miss you because the cleanup man is in the picture. Pretty dope line there. Another two syllables. You're clocking them big bills, but money can't buy you love. Just a cheap thrill. And that gets old and abandoned. Now you're looking for love and understanding. Some simple one-syllable rhymes in there, you know, stuff that he does a lot where the technicality of it and the actual rhymes, there's nothing amazing, but the lines and the message and the point that he's hammering home are pretty good. Some pretty decent lines there. He did have multiple times in the first half of that verse where he had multiple syllables on his rhymes, which he didn't really have much of in the first two verses, so... Definitely more good than bad in the first half of this third verse from Willie D here. Couple of good lines there, couple of multi-syllabic rhymes and stuff like that. Everything led into each other well, everything made sense. He still held the same topic for the whole song here, so let's see how he finishes this verse. Pouring out your heart about she's your soulmate. Too much, too little, too late. Now when you come home, your feelings are hurt. Cause there's a sign on the door that says men at work. Double overtime is what I stack. You know I'm getting the job done cause I got on my hard hat. Getting paid, working up a sweat. No customer leaves upset. They all wanna come back. Cause they know what Willie did ain't gonna be none of that. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, and hit the tub. I don't have sex, baby, I make love. I'm the queen So now he picks up where he left off with about now you're looking for love and understanding and he says pouring out your heart about she's your soulmate too much too little too late now when you come home your feelings are hurt because there's a sign on the door it says men at work double overtime's what I stack you know I'm getting the job done because I got on my hard hat now that's one of those sequence of bars where there's no run on bars, but it is a punchline that kind of just keeps going 
throughout the course of multiple bars and every line kind of makes it a little bit better than it was before. So he says, now when you come home, your feelings are hurt because there's a sign on the door. It says men at work. Now we heard in the first verse about how it was always, you know, he's staying out late and hanging out with the friends. Then in the second verse, it was, he's, he hits her. Now in the third verse, it's basically, you know, you talk all this shit because you got all this money but you're constantly leaving to go to work and she's bothered by it. You know, you're never around and all that type of shit like that. He builds up off of that saying that when you come home from work, there's a sign on the door saying men at work. Basically, fucking leave, bro. Get the fuck out of here. You're a little boy. We ain't got time for you. There's men doing shit here. AKA inside fucking your wife. Now he keeps going with that bar and says double over times what I stack. Basically saying, I'm putting in extra work. I'm fucking her for a long time. I'm doing the job real good. And he could also be insinuating double bagging. Double overtimes what I stack. You know I'm getting the job done because I got on my hard hat. Again, Jimmy hat, getting the job done with fucking her and making her come orgasm because I got on the hard hat construction. It's just a lot of little metaphors and plays on words that come throughout the the course of those four bars which is really dope nothing by itself is mind-blowing or amazing but they all lead into each other well they all make sense they're all pretty good on their own they're even better all together how he keeps playing on the job and the work and the hard hat and getting the job done and you know double overtime and all that type of shit so definitely a cool couple of four bars there from willie d who's Definitely climbing back more into the positive direction here. Then he says, getting paid, working up her sweat, no customer leaves upset. So he's talking about, you know, the cleanup man. I mean, think about like a janitor, you know, that's essentially a cleanup man. That's a job. He's kind of talking about this now as if like it's a job. You know, these girls are, are their they're men are not hanging out with them. Their, their men are beating them. Their men are at, at fucking work all the time. This is, this is a job for me. This is a job for the cleanup man. I come in, I'll work double overtime. I'll get paid. You see me with my hard hat on. No customer leaves upset. I get my job done. I do what I'm supposed to do. Then he says, they all want to come back. Because they know with Willie D, it ain't going to be none of that. Which is a run on bar that leads into wham bam, thank you ma'am, and hit the tub. I don't have sex baby, I make love. So he's kind of saying the opposite of what most people say. And hey, maybe that's what allows him to get the job done. And, you know, he could be bullshitting in a lot of these rhymes where this is the type of shit that he says to girls. But he does wham bam, thank you ma'am, and breaks the fuck out. I, I don't know. I don't know what Willie D does with his sex life. I only know what he talks about on these records and in interviews and things like that. But in this particular song, he's insinuating that they have all these problems. They come running to him. He gets the job done. He does the right thing. He doesn't just, you know, fuck him and run out the door. He gets every portion of the job done. Emotionally, physically, whatever. He's the cleanup man and he gets the job done. Still able to keep the topic throughout that whole verse. Everything's been on point. Everything led into each other well. Bars made sense. So let's see how he closes the song out. The reason I know so much about him. And fly straight, cause the cleanup man can't wait to take your place. He comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. His love is 
all your aunts, cousins, sisters, and mothers. Now he could be your brother, or the mailman, your uncle, your father, and even your best friend. So next time you try to show off, keep an eye on the cleanup man. He's in the house. Okay, so it's a short last verse, and it basically, you know, it, it's funny that it's short because it's almost like um, it's almost like a, like a recap. Like when you open a book, and you know they have the little thing in the beginning of the book that kind of gives you like a little breakdown of what the book's about, or you know on the back they give you a little breakdown of what the book's about, and in the you know in the inside cover it might be a little something that you read going into the book. This is kind of one of those things where. He's had his three verses, he's told his stories and his scenarios and what he does and all that type of shit, and he's basically ending it off with kind of a warning and a, and a, a recap of what's going on here, and he says, you better shape up than fly straight, because the cleanup man can't wait to take your place. You know, basically sending out a warning, listen bro, don't get lazy, don't slack, don't fuck up, because I'm telling you, I'm warning you. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to fuck up so your girl comes to me. And I'm taking full advantage of it. He comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. His lovers are your aunts, cousins, sisters, and mothers. So basically, now he's going off to say that I'm not the only cleanup man. Okay? There's a cleanup man everywhere. So a little bit of a spin and a twist on this where... It doesn't have to be me, bro, because you could fuck up and your girl might not know me. So I'll never even meet that person. I'll never get the chance to be the cleanup man, but somebody will. Trust me. There's a cleanup man out there waiting who will do all the things that you won't do and will say all the right things at the right times to whoever it may be. Your aunts, your cousins, your sisters, your mothers, your girlfriends, your wives, whatever. He says, now he could be your brother or the mailman your uncle, your father, and even your best friend. So now he's building off of what he just said, where I'm not only am I not the only cleanup man, not only do they come in all shapes, sizes, and colors, not only are they getting aunts, cousins, sisters, mothers, girlfriends, wives, whatever, but it could be anybody. It could be your brother that does this to you. It could be the mailman. It could be your uncle, your father, even your best friend. It could be anybody, the last person that you would least expect. That's the motherfucker that's going to get you, bro. And then his final two bars, he says, So next time you try to show her off, keep an eye on the cleanup man. He's in the house. Which doesn't rhyme with anything at all. Nothing in those two bars rhyme. But it still is on point with the topic. And it still makes sense, even though it doesn't rhyme. Now, there was a lot of things that were good in that song. There was a lot of things that weren't so good. It was a little bit back and forth. I think lyrically, that song stays at a one. It's even. Now, 
the song topic is original, you know, the name of the song, what the song is about, the metaphor with it being a job, like a cleanup man, and what he's talking about, about, you know, a significant other fucking up with his girl, and him or somebody else, as he puts the spin and the twist on at the end, being there to kind of clean up the dirty work and take the garbage out and get the job done when you least expect it. So he, you know, it is an original topic. He was able to hold it for the entire song, which I do right off the top of my head, definitely remember Willie D being excellent at. When he made a song about something, that was what he spoke about. So he did that again here. This was a pretty prime example of Willie D, man. I mean, that's that's a lot of what Willie D did, especially early on. He had unique song topics. He was able to hold those topics throughout the course of the song. He was very good at that. A lot of simple lines that really only had the one rhyme or the one syllable on the line, but strong points, lines that, you know, invoked some sort of reaction or emotion, a couple of reaches with some lines, a couple of run-on bars. This was really typical early Willie D. This was a lot of what you got on a lot of his songs early on, and... I would say right here, right now, this finishes out of one and a half. Call it a two, call it a one. You know, I don't care. Call it what you want. When listening to all of his songs in succession, that's more so what was the difference in this being a two, a good song, or a one, an average song. So, like I said, I have no argument. Call it a good song, call it an average song. But if he had another one just like that, I would call one good and one average. And that would even out as far as the the overall totality of the scores with the album scores and the, you know how many average songs and how many good songs and things like that that he had. So I think a pretty good example there of, for the most part, what Willie D was like. And I, you know, I want to say completely what Willie D was like, but we're going to talk a bit now about my breakdown on Willie D and you'll see why it is that I'm not saying that. Personally, I don't remember any artist doing this much of a 180, particularly in the direction Willie D went. Of course I knew Willie D and the Ghetto Boys, but admittedly I hadn't really heard any of his songs. To me, ironically enough, Willie D was similar to Chuck D in the sense that his message was similar and his way of delivering it was similar. Usually not the most complex style, but strong points that are all relatable to each other. Although he did have some instances where he began to sound a little bitter, he was definitely able to cause the listener to invoke emotion but it wasn't always done in the best fashion technically. Although some rhymes were predictable, he had a simple but straight to the point direct, raw, and aggressive approach and showed the ability to tell a decent story a handful of times. I personally felt like Willie D actually had the potential to be a little bit better than he was lyrically, but it was almost as if he seemed content to only reach a certain level. He was carried by his tremendous ability to always keep a topic throughout a song and dragged down by his inability to create complex hooks as most were either one bar or even just one word repeated. Overly good or bad lines were both pretty rare, but most really good lines were preluded by a weaker line to lead into the rhyme and overall he finished average lyrically. Willie D only qualified five albums, all of which were good. Of his 63 songs, none were great or weak, but he did have 14 good ones. While I wouldn't say Willie D was bigger by himself than the Ghetto Boys, he still was part of an influential hip-hop group and inspired all-time greats such as Nas and a few others. On his first three albums, everything about him was original from his voice and delivery to his song names, topics, and messages, and I personally found myself loving the fact that I had just found one of my new favorite artists. Then, all of a sudden, at the snap of a finger, 
His fourth album takes a drastic turn. His message completely changed to the opposite of what it was before, and he started bragging about things he hated and glorifying guns and killing, the same exact things he was ragging on on his first three albums. If that coupled with the fact that his music in general started to take on more of a West Coast vibe doesn't bring down his originality score, the fact that the man switched up his entire voice and delivery to sound like Tupac surely should be. While it doesn't erase the way Willie D came into the game, it certainly tarnished his score a bit and was a personal letdown for me as I can no longer say I'm a big fan. Let's get into the math of that right now as I do want to touch a little bit more on some of the things that I spoke about. We went in depth with his lyrical stuff and lyrics he gets a 5. Albums he gets a 3.89 with 0 classics. Songs he gets a 0 as we spoke about no great songs, no weak songs, that evens each other out, he stays at a 0. Impact he gets a 5.5. Now, this was a bit of a tough one because the Ghetto Boys certainly had a pretty decent impact on hip hop. He also certainly didn't have the same level of an impact by himself, which... Both of those are factored in, so the fact that he was part of the Ghetto Boys does raise it a little bit. The fact that he really only had a visible impact on Nas lowers it a bit. The fact that he wasn't able to have the same success by himself that the Ghetto Boys had lowers it a little bit. But I do still think that there's enough there to keep him above average, even with really only the one name being listed as an influence with Nas. I just think that the work with the Ghetto Boys, even though they're not as a group included in this study, he still was a part of them. They still were pretty big as far as hip-hop is concerned. And I do think that the totality of everything still keeps him just above average. So while it's not really a big score, it is an above average score. Originality, he gets a six and a half. Now, this was a tough one because six and a half is not a bad score at all for originality. It's not amazing. It's not a nine and a half. It's not, you know, uh, like an ODB type of guy or a Bismarcky or, um, you know, the Beastie Boys or things like that. It's not out of control, but it's still pretty well above average. Now, I spoke about a couple of things about how in his fourth album, everything took a turn. It was really, really odd, man. Now, I'm not saying that Willie D was all about peace on his first three albums. He wasn't. But anybody that knows about Willie D, this is not something that I included in his background, but I will touch on it here. Willie D was an amateur boxer, and Willie D, I believe, was trained by Emmanuel Stewart at some point in time. He did have a fight with um, Melly Mel, who we covered on here from the Furious Five. Uh, Willie D basically whooped ass. Melly Mel was, a, you know, a little bit more muscular, and you know, I I wouldn't say like Melly Mel got like knocked the fuck out, like he didn't get one punch and knocked unconscious. But I mean, anybody that really knows the sport of boxing, I'm not talking about fighting. I'm talking about really knows the sport of actual boxing. Willie D was in total control that entire fight. You could tell Willie D was a boxer. You could tell that Melly Mel wasn't. And I know this from experience, not only with watching boxing, but being in boxing, that Melly Mel was going to gas for sure. He, you know, he was too big, too strong and stuff like that. And he didn't really know how to use it. Now, I'm not saying Melly Mel can't fight. I'm not trying to shit on him. But 
Willie D was just in control the whole fight and never really was in any type of danger or anything. And the fight ended in the first round and stuff like that. So the reason that I bring that up is because Willie D could fight. Not only could Willie D box, but Willie D could fight. Willie D was definitely a tough dude. You know, no bullshit type of dude that was involved in boxing and could definitely fight and would have probably fucked a lot of people up that think they could fight but can't really fight. They're just street fighting people that can't fight and shit like that. There's definitely a difference between being controlled and boxing and breaking somebody down as there is to just wilding out and throwing haymakers and stuff like that. So Willie D spoke a lot on his first three albums about violent shit, about hood shit, about ghetto shit, about gutter shit, about fucking people up. But he also went out of his way to make fun of people that shot people. You're a pussy. Why are you shooting somebody? Fight them. Throw hands. What, you can't fight so you're shooting people? I'm not saying the exact lines that he said here. I covered Willie D. It was probably almost a year ago at this point. So I'm not trying to quote Willie D here. But it was the same theme throughout on the first three albums. It was stop killing each other. Why are you fucking shooting people when you could, you know, fight it out? Learn how to throw hands. Get tougher. This and that. Yada, yada, yada. Then all of a sudden on his fourth album, it was I'm killing everybody. And I, I swear, it was such a dramatic turn that I actually just attested it to something that I didn't get yet. I was like, maybe this is one of these albums where it's it's a sarcastic album, or he's telling some sort of story where the whole album is one song or something. I, I just kept thinking, I was waiting for something to happen. I was waiting for him to turn around in one song and say, see, I could do that nonsense too, and I'm not going to. I, I just... And it just never happened. He just continued on with the guns and the killing and the gangs. That was another thing that he that he kind of, you know, seemed to have a bit of a problem with early on. And then, you know, just went into glorifying and talking about and bragging about these things. And it was just super, super strange. You know, not only were you not talking about this shit on the first three albums, you were talking about it. You were talking about it in a negative fashion. Now you're talking about it in a positive bragging fashion. Not only was it super weird and super strange, but it was a really giant letdown for me because I was really enjoying Willie D for a lot of reasons and his originality was one of them. So for him to turn around and do that, not only was it weird and confusing, but it, it was bothersome for somebody who was really enjoying what this guy was bringing to the table to just watch him do a 180 and you know just fall in line and start doing the same shit that not only was everybody else doing, but that he was shitting on people for. It was just so disheartening and such a letdown. But again, it's not about what I like or dislike, but that certainly does contribute to his originality score for sure. And then on top of that, he just out of nowhere started to... His voice sounded like Tupac. His music and the beats took this West Coast vibe instead of this like more Southern vibe. And he delivered things like Tupac with the way that he was saying his words and pronouncing things. And again, it was just so odd. I was waiting for the album to be, you know, like a Tupac tribute or something. But he just continued on with this. Now, the point of me saying this is for me to say all of this about this guy, about how he did a 180 with his message and, and you know, the things that he liked and disliked and changed his voice and his delivery to sound like another person that was already out. 
for somebody to do that and still get a six and a half for their originality score, it says something, and I want to point it out. Because if it wasn't for those three things, Willie D would have probably been looking at like a nine or a nine and a half or something like that. So what I had to do was take the fact that he was around a nine throughout the first half of his career and then take the fact that he was really closer to like a four in the second half of his career. And I had to kind of combine those things and that's where I kind of came up with the six and a half. Don't quote me on those numbers. I didn't have it written down in black and white that he was a nine throughout 92 songs and then a four throughout, you know, another 92 songs. But I just thought that that six and a half was, you know, right in the middle of really being very unoriginal and really being very original. So that's where he came to the score of a six and a half for originality. You add all those five numbers up, you divide by five, and that gives you a final score of 4.18 which leaves Willie D in 66th place overall of 117 artists done. Look, man, I, I want to give a shout-out to Willie D. Like I said, I really didn't listen to Willie D before I started this study, and I really, really was a giant fan of Willie D throughout the first three albums. He literally, I, I was going to start telling people, if that kept up, I went, who's your favorite rapper? Willie D was going to be up there. He was going to be in my top five favorites. Not saying he was going to be a top five guy as far as best is concerned, but I just personally loved what he brought to the table. I don't know why he did what he did. I don't know if he, you know, quote unquote, sold out to try to sell more records. I, I, I don't really know what happened. Somebody would have to ask Willie D or talk to Willie D about that. I haven't heard any interviewers ask him that particular question. I haven't seen it addressed by him or any websites or anything like that. I've really never even heard anybody bring this up. And it would be mind-blowing and astonishing to me if a lot of his fans didn't notice this. So, I don't know how they took it or if he lost or gained fans by doing this. And I'm not trying to shit on the guy at all. Like I said, I loved him early on. I don't know why he did what he did, but... Shout out to Willie D, man. Hell of a career in more ways than one. And, you know, I, I don't I don't want to bash the guy. I, I loved a lot of what he brought to the table. I really did. Now, moving on to Vanilla Ice. I don't know what everyone is expecting right now. I do know that the general consensus of Vanilla Ice is he's not taken very seriously as a rapper at all. He did obviously make the cut as we're covering him here. So I'm not sure that he was as bad as people maybe think he is. And we'll get into more of that in a second. But let's get a little bit of background on Vanilla Ice. Birth name, Robert Matthew Van Winkle. Born October 31st, 1967 in Dallas, Texas, United States. His origins are listed as Dallas, Texas and Miami, Florida. His genres are listed as hip-hop, rap rock, new metal, and rap metal. And his years active are listed as 1985 to present. I don't remember him having anything recent. I don't really know that he's involved in hip-hop in any type of way, but that's what's listed there, and that's what we're going to run with. A little bit more background on him. Robert Matthew Van Winkle, born October 31st, 1967, better known by his stage name Vanilla Ice, is an American rapper, actor, and television host. Born in South Dallas and raised in Texas and South Florida, Ice released his debut album Hooked in 1989 on Ichiban Records before signing a contract with SBK Records, a record label of the EMI group, which released a formatted version of the album in 1990 under the title To The Extreme, 
which contained Ice's best-known hits Ice Ice Baby and a cover of Play That Funky Music. Ice Ice Baby was the first hip-hop single to top the Billboard charts. Although he was successful, Ice later regretted his business arrangements with SBK, which had paid him to adopt more of a commercial appearance to appeal to a mass audience and published fabricated biographical information without his knowledge. After surviving a suicide attempt, Ice changed his musical style and lifestyle. While his later, less mainstream albums failed to chart or receive much radio airplay, Ice has had an underground following. So, we get a bunch of interesting things there when we talk about Vanilla Ice. So, the reason I have Vanilla Ice listed as 1989 here is because technically... That is when his debut solo album, Hook, dropped in 1989. I don't remember exactly what went on with that, but as we spoke about here, they basically released a reformatted version of the album in 1990 with a new record label and a new title, which was called To The Extreme, which that version is what had Ice Ice Baby and Play That Funky Music. So... That version is what was scored as it was the same version as the one prior to it, just had a couple of different songs on it, so I scored that one as a total album, which wasn't out till 1990, but his debut solo album was technically out in 1989, so we're covering him in 1989 here. You also see that Ice Ice Baby was the first hip-hop single to top the Billboard charts, which is pretty big. It's not giant, it's not 10 platinum albums, it's not, you know, 5, 10, 15 record set, but he was the first to do something, so that does need to be noted. It also is noted that even though he had success, he talked later about how he regretted having that success because there was fabricated biographical information that he didn't know about, so it kind of... Basically, the record label portrayed this false image of Vanilla Ice, which, you know, it's kind of odd because he went along with it at first to make more money and then later regretted doing that and things like that, which is understandable. A lot of money is thrown in your face. You take the bait. I get it. He made a mistake. He later admitted that he made a mistake and he regretted it. So I'm not trying to ream him for that, but I, I do just want to point out how there's going to be a lot of give and take here with Vanilla Ice where he's the first to do this, but then you find out that he was basically fronting an image that wasn't real. So it's like, you know, original, not original. Then it's, you know, he sets a record with the first hip hop single to chop, top the Billboard charts. And then after that, you know, his later less mainstream albums failed to chart or receive much radio airplay. So it's, this is big as far as impact, this is low as far as impact. And then you have the suicide attempt, which insinuates that it led him to change his lifestyle and his musical style, which we'll get a little bit more into on my breakdown and, you know, as we cover him and stuff like that. But you did hear about genres listed, hip-hop, rap-rock, new metal, rap-metal, things like that, so... He did fuse genres a little bit and stuff like that, which again is a bit original. And then you have other things that aren't original. So I just want to point out how we're a little bit all over the boards here with Vanilla Ice, but there are definitely noteworthy things here to be said about him. As much as he's looked at as a joke, there are no noteworthy things here to be said about him. 
With that out of the way, let's go to Vanilla Ice's list. Let's hit random, and this is Vanilla Ice Hate. as we get into this song now first of all obviously this is a hip-hop study and i did speak on the intro and other times about how subgenres are included this particular album i believe the genres were rap metal new metal and hip-hop so hip-hop or the subgenres that are included were not outweighed two to one so this does count as a hip-hop album but immediately you hear right away you hear that it's obviously a live band. You hear the metal music come in. But then he does get on it and rap. So there is hip-hop involved in this for sure. He is spitting bars. It's just over a live band and more of a metal beat than a quote-unquote hip-hop beat. You also do hear some record scratching in there and stuff as well. So you're seeing elements of hip-hop. You're seeing elements of, of rock. So a little bit different here with the sound compared to what we've been hearing so far in this study but let's get into the bars and what he says he says all i see is hate can't understand why and now it's like the whole wide world's got me hypnotized on a hex for generation x what's next the mutated breeding of tyrannosaurus rex through dna testing i really don't condone the right to clone why don't you leave it alone now, on the first two bars, you just got the Y and Hypnotize, which is just the two one-syllable rhymes on the two bars. They lead into each other well. They make sense. There's nothing wrong with those lines. Not trying to shit on them. But then, on the next set of bars, he says, On a hex for Generation X, what's next? The mutated breeding of Tyrannosaurus Rex. So now he has four one-syllable rhymes on the two bars. And again, those make perfect sense. They lead into each other well. Continues on with, through DNA testing, I don't really condone the right to clone, why don't you leave it alone? Now, that's a run-on bar with, I don't really condone, running on to the right to clone. He's got three one-syllable rhymes on the two bars there. They make sense, they lead into each other well, he's still kind of talking about the same thing, so he's not getting totally random here. But then he goes in to say, 
Smoke some homegrown, get up in the zone, amplify your mind while you're puffing a bone. Which appears to be a bit random because he's talking about all I see is hate and I can't understand why. And then he gets into Generation X and all the crazy shit that's going on with the DNA testing and, you know, the right to clone and why don't you leave it alone and shit like that. And then he's talking about homegrown. So it does seem kind of random, but... It's not as random as it seems because basically what he's saying is, I know it sounds crazy and random what I'm saying. I'm talking about mutating, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rexes and shit, but why don't you smoke some homegrown and get up in this zone? Amplify your mind while you're puffing a bone. So he's basically saying, get high and let's talk about some crazy shit, me and you. One hit, then I see right through the bullshit. Mega Blitz got people loading their clips. Another four one syllable rhymes on the two bars there they make sense they lead into each other well spreading the hate now you're sealing your fate take a look up in the mirror and face what you create which is a pretty decent line there very simple as far as the rhymes are concerned i'm pretty sure it was only one syllable on every single one of those bars but there was a number of times where he had three and four rhymes on the two bars which it's not amazing, especially considering that they're all one syllable, but it is better than just the one one syllable. No amazing or mind-blowing lines, but the majority of that led into each other very well and made perfect sense. Again, there was no great lines, but he ends that off pretty well, and there were some decent lines in there. For a guy like Vanilla Ice, who's looked at as an absolute fucking joke, you know, let's be real here, that wasn't a bad verse. It wasn't amazing. I'm not going to raise his score for it, but it wasn't a bad verse. And quite frankly, there was more good than bad on that verse. So I don't think it was enough to raise it, but still more good than bad. So I want to point out that while I'm not trying to vouch for Vanilla Ice here and say that he was amazing or anything like that, I don't think that he was quite as much of a joke as most people look at him as. For the hook, he kind of has... A thing where he's yelling in the back like all I see is hate and then he's saying fuck you what you want to do huh then he says the all I see is hate fuck me well fuck you too so again just two one syllable rhymes on the two bars there but a little bit of a unique way to deliver that hook where He's got a little bit of everything. He's got the yelling for the metal. He's got the repetitive, all I see is hate. But he also has the bars in there, and he also has the the lines rhyming with each other. So he's not just saying, all I see is hate, over and over again. So he finds a way to be metal. He got the scratching, finds a way to be hip-hop. He's got the bars, finds a way to be hip-hop. He finds a way to be repetitive. He finds a way to make things rhyme and not just be repetitive. So... Nothing to raise the score here there, but I think he does a pretty good job with that hook in general. And let's get into the rest of the hook and what he does on the second verse. Spreading the hate, and now you're still in your face Take a look up in the mirror and face What you create? All I see 
Okay, so the rest of the hook is the same pattern as the two bars that we spoke about before. He says, all I see is hate. Then he goes into the rap part. Psycho fanatic, your mind is an addict. So we have two two-syllable rhymes on just that bar. Then on the last bar of the hook, all I see is hate. Don't give a fuck. Why? Because I've had it. So he has three two-syllable rhymes on the two bars there on the hook. Again, I think he does a pretty good job with that hook. Then into the second verse, he says, Black Sunday, on the day I hate breed, Jesus paid and now we're all gonna bleed. Dirty deeds and they're done dirt cheap. Now they creep through the streets while you weep in your sleep. Again, we're seeing a lot more of the same. It's breed, bleed, deeds, cheap, creep, streets, weep, sleep. So he basically only has one syllable on almost all of his rhymes, which has gone on for almost the entire song. But again, in most of these bars, he's putting two, three, four rhymes on each pair of two bars. Nothing amazing, not, you know, no mind-blowing lines, but the lines lead into each other well. They make sense. From Miami to LA, New York and back, it's like a pimp slap from a bum on crack. And then you get jacked like Lindros on his back. In fact, you lack your intelligence is whack. So that one has five one-syllable rhymes on the two bars there. But again, just more of the same. A lot of one-syllable rhymes. No really insane lines or crazy mind-blowing shit. Three, four, five rhymes on every two pairs of bars. They make sense. They lead into each other well. Just nothing really great here. Stop the hate. It ain't too late. The devil will take your soul unless you step up to the plate. Pretty decent line. And then the last two bars is the same as the last two bars in the first verse where he says, Spreading the hate, now you're sealing your fate. Take a look up in the mirror and face what you create. A lot more of the same in the second verse as the first verse. A lot of one-syllable rhymes. A lot of three, four, five rhymes on the two bars. A lot of decent lines that lead into each other well and make sense, but really nothing amazing, nothing great there. I would say at the end of the day, overall, this song is a one. I mean, it is what it is. He does a good job of blending genres here, which he did get credit for in originality as far as that particular thing is concerned with, you know, the blending, the rap and the, and the rock and stuff like that. So it, it is a bit of an original sound here, especially... For what we've heard so far on this podcast, this is definitely the first time we've heard something like this. So I'm not going to raise this song score in particular for being original because the song topic wasn't really that original. It wasn't like a story or something that he kept the whole song, but he did get points for originality in his overall originality score. So I do want to point out that the originality of the song is taken into context, but not in the sense that it's going to raise this particular song. As far as the lyrics were concerned, a lot of basic stuff there. There were some pretty good lines. There were some lines that were, you know, all right, whatever. But for the most part, you just had a lot of one-syllable basic lines and basic rhymes and stuff like that. But you did have a lot of scenarios where there were a lot of rhymes on the bars, but I don't think anything was above average enough to raise this song. So I definitely feel safe calling this a one right now. Now, I don't really care whether it was good or bad in your mind or whether you liked it or disliked it. I mean, I hope you liked it. That would be great. But I don't really expect too many people, especially hip-hop fans, to really be like, oh, fucking Vanilla Ice was dope. But 
at the end of the day, I do hope that by at least hearing that song, you were able to see a little bit more of Vanilla Ice than just Ice Ice Baby, than just some, you know, puppet on a fucking stick that was dancing around on stage and kind of doing what everybody told him to do and doing whatever he could for money. So there was another side to Vanilla Ice. You know, it didn't carry him to being this legendary artist or anything like that, but I am glad that we got a little something different there for you to hear if you weren't well informed on Vanilla Ice or his catalog. With that being said, let's get into what I wrote down about Vanilla Ice when I was studying him. Vanilla Ice was actually not as bad as I originally thought he may have been when it came time to dissect his music. Although he was below average lyrically, he did have some good lines and was not all that bad at putting songs together. Of six hip-hop albums, only one was just barely good. The others were borderline good slash average, but none were weak. Although he did have some very popular songs, None of them were technically great, and four were weak. He did manage to drop three good songs, but out of a total of 81, that's not a great percentage. Although Vanilla Ice is a pretty household name, it's not necessarily always a good thing. As far as hip-hop is concerned, he had little to no influences on anyone other than ODB and Tupac, but he was one of the first huge mainstream white rappers with real commercial success. When it came to originality, Vanilla Ice certainly stood out at first, but he seemed to get a little lost and confused as to who he was as his career went on. He did do a decent job of meshing an entire hip-hop slash hardcore rock album, but also seemed to have rode Ice-T's coattails a little bit with more than one thing. Again, my breakdown of Vanilla Ice following kind of the same trending pattern that we have had here since we brought his name up, which is he's kind of all over the place. He was all over the place with his impact. He was all over the place with his originality. You know, stuff like that. So, let's get into the math of what I just talked about. Lyrics, he gets a 4. Albums, he gets a 3.25 with 0 classics. Songs, he gets a minus .49 as we spoke about. I think there was like 81 songs. He had no great songs, but he did have 4 weak songs. So again, that's a prime example of looking at the ratio here, okay? When you say, well, what did Vanilla Ice do for hip-hop that was beneficial to it? And what did Vanilla Ice do that we kind of wish he wouldn't have done? Okay, He did more negative than he did positive as far as his songs were concerned. No great songs, but four weak songs. Out of a total of 81, that comes out to being minus just about a full half a point, which I've spoke about before in other podcast episodes. When you get to the half a point mark of people losing a half a point or gaining a half a point and shit like that, that's where you start to see a bit of an impact on their final score. That could be a point one or things like that to where you could see somebody jump maybe five or ten slots just based on that song score alone or, or drop five or ten slots. Because in a scenario where you have 500 people fitting into a small numerical scale, that point one starts to become relatively big. Impact, he gets a five. Again, we spoke about how there was a bit of give and take and a little bit all over the place here with Vanilla Ice. We saw in his background how Ice Ice Baby was the first hip-hop single to top the Billboard chart, so, you know, that's pretty big. Uh, we heard how he does have, like, an underground following and stuff like that, but he was also kind of a one-hit wonder, which really loses you more points than it gains you because 
you were there. You did have the big record deal. You did have the, the quote-unquote mainstream success. You did have the number one song. And really, at the end of the day, you really weren't able to do anything with it, which to me is kind of worse than somebody who tried and tried and tried and was never really able to get anything. You got it, bro. Maybe that person was really good and just never had the right person hear them. You can attribute that to a lot of things. You got it. You were signed to, you know, a big enough record label to put out a number one song on the Billboard charts. You did have that huge song. You did have that appeal and that fame and your name being thrown around and everybody knowing who you were, whether it was for a good reason or a bad reason, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you hear people say all the time, any publicity is good publicity. Talk about me negative, just talk about me, right? So people were talking about Vanilla Ice. He, he did get very big. He did have a fucking huge song. And he really wasn't able to do anything with that momentum. So overall, I give him a five. He did a couple of good things. He did a couple of things that I thought would drag him down. So he evens out there. He gets a five. Originality, he gets a six, which is a little slightly above average. I thought that he did enough to carry him above average with the fact that he had the hip-hop and the hardcore rock album and he was able to blend genres and stuff there. I thought there was a couple of things that he also did that were relatively original, whether it was like song topics or kind of things that he spoke about or stuff like that. And we spoke about really being like, you know, one of the first huge mainstream white rappers with real commercial success. So there were things that he did there that were definitely well above average as far as originality is concerned. But again, there also were some things there that were definitely below average as far as originality is concerned. But overall, I thought there was enough to carry him a little bit above average, so he gets a six there. You add those five numbers up, you divide by five, you get a final score of 3.55, which leaves Vanilla Ice in 103rd place of 117 artists done overall. So... Like I said, I'm not trying to blow things out of proportion. I'm not trying to make it sound like Vanilla Ice is this amazing or this legendary rapper. I'm not trying to vouch for Vanilla Ice or things like that. Listen, the guy finishes in 103rd of 117 artists overall. So, you know, you got to figure out of 450 guys or 500 guys or so, you know, you got to figure Vanilla Ice is going to be somewhere around that 400 mark, which obviously, you know, that's not a strong finish. But I do think that we were able to see in the song that we covered today that there probably was a little bit more to Vanilla Ice than your average person thinks of when they hear the name Vanilla Ice. He really is looked at as a joke. And again, I'm not vouching for the guy. He's not a legend. He wasn't amazing. 103rd place of 117 artists done overall. But again, maybe not as big of a joke as most people would think off the bat. So with all that covered now, Here's where things are going to get a bit interesting. Now, for the whole entire season one, at the end of each episode, you know, aside from the first couple of episodes before we had, you know, any significant number of people done, you know, obviously in the first episode, there was no reason to name, you know, the order of the artists as those were the only artists that were covered. So we didn't need to name the list after that. The list was obvious. We just covered the first four artists, the only four artists that there were. So after that, we started to get into your top certain percentages. It probably started off with a top 50% and it probably went to, uh, you know, a top 
33% and then maybe a top 25% and shit like that. I think it wound up getting to a top 20% and that was where it stayed for most of the end of the 80s. This is the last episode of season one, man. I, I, you know, I said it earlier. I'm saying it again. This, this is it for the 80s. We've covered really pretty much every major notable artist of the 1980s that would have finished anywhere in the top half of this final list right here. So this week, as it's the end of the 80s, I'm not going to do any percentage of anything. I'm going to name all the artists that we've covered so far, which is all the artists in the 80s, in the order that they finished. I won't be going over where they finished overall. I'll just be discussing solely the 80s. So today, for our list, we're going to list all 55 artists covered in the 80s in order here. So without further ado... Here is your all-inclusive final list of all the artists we've covered in the 80s in order. At number one, your top artist of the 1980s, KRS-One. In second place, Slick Rick. In third, Rakim. Fourth run of Run DMC. 5th, LL Cool J. 6th, Will Smith. Tied for 7th is DMC from Run DMC and Ice Cube of NWA. 9th, Big Daddy Kane. 10th, Chuck D. 11th, Guru. 12th, Cool Mo D. 13th, Heavy D. In a three-way tie for 14th place, we have Ad Rock, Mike D, and MCA of the Beastie Boys. In 17th, we have Tretch of Naughty by Nature. In 18th place, Queen Latifah. In a five-way tie for 19th place, we have Melly Mel, Keith Cowboy, and Scorpio of the Furious Five. And we also have MC Light and Vinrock, the other half of Naughty by Nature. Tied for 24th place, we have Kid Creole and Raheem of the Furious Five. In 26th, we have Biz Marquee. In 27th, we have MC Ren of NWA. In 28th, we have Cool G Rap. In a three-way tie for 29th, we have Master G, Wonder Mike, and Big Bank Hank of the Sugar Hill Gang. In 32nd place, we have Cool Rock Ski of the Fat Boys. In 33rd, we have Jazzo. In 34th, we have Eric Sermon. In 35th place, Prince Marky D of the Fat Boys. Tied for 36th place, we have Africa Baby Bam of the Jungle Brothers and Willie D of the Ghetto Boys. Tied for 38th place, we have Mike G of the Jungle Brothers and Freddie Fox. In 40th place, we have the DOC. In a three-way tie for 41st place, we have Salt and Pepper and MC Shan. In 44th place, we have Ice-T. In 45th, Arabian Prince of NWA. In 46th, Curtis Blow. In 47th, Spoonie G. In 48th place, we have D-Nice of Boogie Down Productions. In 49th place, we have MC Search of Third Base. In 50th place, we have Dougie Fresh. In 51st, we have Special Ed. 52nd is Pete Nice of Third Base. 53rd is Vanilla Ice. 54th is Professor Griff. 
And in last place, in number 55, we have MC Hammer. I'm not going to go over every single one of those names again, but I will run off a quick top 10. KRS-One, Slick Rick, Rockham, Run, LL Cool J, Will Smith, DMC, Ice Cube, Big Daddy Kane, and Chuck D. There you have all artists covered in the 1980s and where they finished. We have KRS-One of Boogie Down Productions coming out as the best rapper of the 1980s. And in last place, 55th place, we have MC Hammer as the worst rapper of the 1980s. It'll be interesting to see how these guys pan out all time. I mean, right now, you know, we have KRS-One at number one and MC Hammer in last. But I don't know if KRS-One will stay in first place. And I don't know that MC Hammer will stay in last place as we continue to go on and go through these decades here. But those are your top MCs of the 1980s right there. Now, we also do a top 10% lyrically, which I'm not going to change right now. I'm not going to list all 55 artists lyrically as the list is long and we don't need to waste hearing who was the worst in one particular category right now. We'll stick with a top 10% lyrically here, and if you made it, you made it. If you didn't, work on your bars. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Our top 10% lyrical list of all artists covered in the 1980s, which doesn't change from what it was last week, but... In our top lyrical spot, we have a KRS-One of Boogie Down Productions who gets a 7. In a three-way tie for second place, we have Will Smith, Rockham, and Cool G Rap who all got six and a halfs. And then we have a four-way tie for fifth place with Big Daddy Kane, Slick Rick, Guru, and Freddie Fox all getting a 6. So again, your top lyrical finalists of the 1980s are KRS-One, Will Smith, Rockham, Cool G Rap, Big Daddy Kane, Slick Rick, Guru, and Freddie Fox. Huge shout out to the top lyrical guys of the 1980s, man. I'm also curious to see how many of these guys can hang on to top lyrical spots as we climb through the decades. We'll continue to name a certain percentage of our top overall lyrical guys. So again, it'll be interesting to see if these guys who maybe didn't finish that great in your 80s or maybe don't wind up finishing that great overall, we still might have some of these guys finishing as top lyricists. So huge shout out to those top five guys right there who finish as your, you know, it winds up being a top eight. But, you know, the last four guys are tied for fifth place. So there's your top five slots lyrically there. You got KRS-One who not only finished as the number one artist of the 1980s, but also the top lyrical artist of the 1980s, which that's saying something, man, because when you look at this top lyrical list, you got guys like Cool G Rap who finished in a top lyrical spot, but only finished in 28th place overall out of all the artists covered in the 80s. You got guys like Big Daddy Kane and Guru and Freddie Fox with, 
not huge, amazing top three or top five finishes overall, but they are in that top couple lyrically. So again, man, big shout out to all those guys. And I'll be curious to see who can hold on to what spot as we continue to climb through the decades here. If you'd like to see any of the full lists, you can give the Facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash tale of the tapes podcast, spelt normally. You can also give the host site a visit at www.anchor.fm slash tale of the tapes. That's also spelt normally. You will see a donate button on there. I, I know you're tempted. You can absolutely, totally feel free to hit that button. I won't be mad at you for it. And hey, listen. That'll do it for the 80s, my friends. I appreciate you tuning in, especially the people that rock with me every week. I know that this gets kind of repetitive and and maybe mundane at some points. And, you know, you're kind of hearing the same fucking things being said over and over again, just with like different variations of different people. So if you tuned in every week or almost every week, I definitely greatly appreciate it. If anybody hit that donate button, I obviously greatly appreciate that as well. We got a ton of information pinned down on a lot of artists, man. So if anyone missed any episodes or happened to miss the breakdowns on your favorite artists or whatever, I invite you to go back and recap whatever piques your interest to find out exactly how we got to all the scores that we got to. I spoke in a couple of episodes how I really look at this entire thing as like a vault. This is kind of a place to lock away information. These guys were covered. They were covered in full up to as recently as possible and everything about them was documented so whether you hate somebody and you want to hear me rip on them whether you love somebody and you want to see how they did or you want to hear my breakdown on them whether you see somebody's final score and you're like how the fuck did he get that go back and listen to it man everything's there everything's gonna stay there um and that's kind of why i call this a vault We got less than six months until the start of season two. Enjoy your summer. Enjoy your fall. I'll see you back in the winter as we pick up where we left off smack in the middle of the golden era of hip hop. And we start off with probably the most popular decade to date with the 1990s. So I hope everybody enjoyed. I hope everybody was well informed here. I will see you back in January for the long awaited 1990s. For now. For the 80s. Peace out, motherfucker. Tale of the tapes. Might as well.